Now, uh, page 1216, uh, James chapter 5, and I'm going to read chapter 5, verses 7 to the end. So let me read it. James writes, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you'll be condemned. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Let's pray, shall we? Lord God, we read there that you are full of compassion and mercy. And we pray tonight for every single one of us here that by your spirit we might experience more what it is that you are full of compassion and mercy to us. So Lord, please come and work amongst us. Please, Lord, would you use my words to be a blessing to us all. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm sure that uh, many of you have seen this year's John Lewis Christmas advert featuring Edgar the Excitable Dragon. It's another John Lewis masterpiece. And uh, Edgar, what happens is Edgar and his sort of fiery nostrils, Edgar goes around uh, making mistake after mistake after mistake. And he goes around with his fiery nostrils and he he accidentally melts a snowman. Uh, Then he accidentally melts the ice on this pond full of skaters. And then he accidentally burns the town Christmas tree. And there's Edgar and he's making mistake after mistake after mistake. But there's also Ava, this girl, and she keeps loving Edgar. She keeps looking out for Edgar. She keeps trying to help him and to sort out his problems and trying to sort of pull him back into line. And right at the start of today's sermon, I want to ask each one of you quite a strange question in a way, but it's it's this. Do you more naturally relate to Edgar or Ava? Do you more naturally relate to the dragon or the damsel, if you like your alliteration? Are you the kind of person, and actually you feel, yeah, I make mistake after mistake after mistake. Sometimes I don't mean to make mistakes, but I just seem to make mistakes. I muck up, but sometimes actually it is totally my fault. I know what I'm doing, and I rebel, I muck up, I I sort of wander away from the path I should be going. 
I make mistakes. Or, or do you relate more to the damsel, the young girl? Are you the person in life you seem to go around sorting out other people's problems, pulling other people back onto the straight and narrow? And I ask you this because the whole book of James that we've been looking at this last couple of months, it is written by James to both sorts of people. It is written to the dragons that go off course, and it is written to the damsels that try to to, to sort things out and pull people back. Just have a look at the very last two verses of this whole letter. James's conclusion, page 1216, and look at verse 19. This is what uh, nearly all Bible commentators, when they're writing about James, they say these last two verses of the whole letter, they are the best summary of James's whole sort of aim and purpose in writing this letter. This is why James wrote the letter. Verse 19 and 20, have a look. He says this in conclusion. He says, my brothers and sisters. And just notice this. Before I go any further, I wonder if you notice as I read it, four times in this little end bit of James's letter, he uses that phrase, my brothers and sisters. Here is the one who was a brother of Jesus Christ himself. And he is saying that he is also a brother to all these Christians that he's writing to, including those who've been wandering away from the truth. So James is showing showing such love to them all, such pastoral care for all these people he's writing to. And he says this, he says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So you see there, here's the aim that some people, they are wandering from the truth, the dragons, And some people are bringing these people back to the truth, the damsels. And as we've gone, if you've been here over the last couple of months, as we've gone through the book of James, we've seen this time and time again. The challenge for all of us that we are tempted, you and I, we are tempted to be what James calls double-minded or double-hearted, double-souled. We are people, we've used this illustration time and again, that we've got one foot on the God escalator and one foot on the world's escalator. We are thinking that our hearts, they can be divided, and our hearts, they can chase after both God, but also our hearts can chase after the things of this world which are in opposition to God. And what we find is that, like a person with one foot on the up escalator and one foot on the down escalator, that trying to move in two different directions at the same time, it always ends painfully. And so I ask each of you whether you are more like a dragon doing the wandering from the truth, putting one foot on God and one foot on the world, or whether you're more like the damsel trying to pull people back who are wandering from the truth. And let's be realistic. For each of us, that can vary over time. Sometimes we're more like that dragon wandering from the truth. Other times we're more like the damsel. It can change over time. But this evening, as well as asking you which are you more like, dragon or damsel, I want to ask all of you to be another D. D is for detective. I want each of us to be a bit of a detective this evening, because this Bible passage, I don't know if you thought it as I read it, but this Bible passage is quite interesting, isn't it? It's got all sorts of things, and we're going, what does all this stuff mean? You know, what is all this stuff about prayer for healing? All this stuff about anointing with oil, what does it mean? Seems to be, you know, is there some sort of connection between uh, being sinful and being sick? Are the two connected? What's going on there? And even more, we're trying to ask, why is James suddenly talking about all this stuff? 
doesn't really seem connected to everything that's come before. He's been talking about this spiritual double-mindedness, and suddenly he starts talking about praying for healing and anointing with oil. It doesn't seem to make sense. Why does he suddenly talk about that? What's the connection? Well, if you would, grab your, your, your dear stalker hat and pipe, and um, let's just try and do a bit of detective work. Now, the verses that we particularly need to try and understand, they're going to come up on the screen here. It's verses 14 to 16. Just have a look at them. They're going to come up on the screen. You can see them in your Bibles as well. Let me reread them. What is James meaning in these verses? Okay? He says this, Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, what's going on there? I I want to say something to you this evening that will seem quite radical. And I want to say this, that I think these verses actually have very little to do with physical healing. They've got very little to do with physical healing. Now, before you chuck me out of the church as a heretic, let me just say something. I am not saying that it is wrong to pray for physical healing. Quite the reverse. I think it is good to pray for physical healing. We should pray for it. Nor am I saying that I don't think God can heal today. No, I do believe God can heal today, both regularly through conventional medicine and occasionally through direct miraculous intervention. But what I am saying is, as we look at these verses, I do not think these verses are primarily about physical healing. Let me try and show you why. I'm going to show you a few uh, words. They're going to come up, they'll be ringed. First of all, in verse 14, look at the word ill. The word ill there, the Greek word that is used there, that's translated ill here, it is also translated as weak in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 9, as in someone who is a weak, confused Christian. Someone who's spiritually ill, they're spiritually weak. Or go on to verse 15, look at the word sick there. The word sick, it says the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The same Greek word that's translated there sick, in Hebrews 12 verse 3 and Revelation 2 verse 3, that same word is translated as weary. As in someone who is weary living as a Christian. Someone who's flagging, they're faltering in their faith. We'll take two words later, a sick person, well. That word well, in verse 15, James uses that very same Greek word that's translated well there. He uses it four times in this letter. All the other times, it is translated not as well, but it's translated as save. So look down to the very last verse, verse 20. Here's one of them. It says, verse 20, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them. In other words, they will spiritually be saved. They will spiritually be made well. Or look at verse 16, the word healed in verse 16. Now, more often in the Bible, the Greek word there does mean physical healing. But in Matthew 13, verse 15, the same Greek word is used, and there it means spiritual healing. It's talking about spiritual healing. And then what about this whole idea of anointing with oil? What is going on there? What's anointing with oil about? 
Well, certainly anointing with oil can be connected to physical healing. So in Mark chapter 6, verse 13, we read Mark writes, the 12 disciples, they go out, they preach that people should repent, they drive out demons, and they anoint with oil many people who are ill and heal them. So certainly at times, anointing with oil is connected to physical healing. But actually, when you go through most of the Bible, as you read through the Bible, all the times that different people are anointed with oil, actually, far or more times, it is talking about an individual being anointed to be single-mindedly devoted to God with a particular task. So think about in the Old Testament with, the, with Samuel. Samuel goes to Jesse and Jesse's seven sons, the youngest whom is the shepherd boy David. And uh, uh, there's Samuel, and he goes, not that one, not that one, not that one. And finally he goes, this last one, this little one, that is the one God is calling. That is the one God's setting apart to be devoted to me and to become the king of Israel. And so Samuel there anoints David, the shepherd boy, and David becomes the king of Israel. He's set apart to be devoted to God. Now, I've given you some information there. There on the screen are those verses. I'm just going to read, with all that in mind, how these verses could be translated. You'll see up there how the Bible's translating them, but let me just give you how they could be translated. Let me just read it, and you can compare it as we go along. Could be, James 5, verse 14, is anyone among you spiritually weak? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And that anointing with oil, it's, a, it's this desire to, it symbolizes this desire to be single-minded in devotion to God. And the prayer offered in faith will save the weary, faltering, flagging Christian. The Lord will raise them up to single-minded devotion to God now and ultimately to be with the Lord in heaven, their eternal salvation secure. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be spiritually healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, you see, when the whole theme of James's letter, what has James been talking about time and time again? He's been talking about the danger of us being double-minded in our relationship to God, us wandering away from the truth. And if this here, if this is a prayer for spiritual healing, that God would bring the weary, faltering Christian back to single-minded devotion to God, that seems to fit with the whole message of the letter, doesn't it? And then look on to the next two verses. James gives an example. And who's the example? The example is the Old Testament prophet Elijah. And actually, as we look at this Old Testament prophet Elijah, actually, it seems to back this idea up that it's primarily about spiritual healing he's talking about. Let's have a look. Verse 17. It says this. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. I wonder if you remember the story of Elijah. It's in 1 Kings 17 and 18. And if James here, at the end of his letter, if James is trying to make the point in these verses about the the, the praying for physical healing, if he's trying to do that, you know, there is a great moment in 1 Kings 17 and 18 when that's exactly what happens. 
When Elijah, he prays for someone and they are physically healed. In fact, they're not just physically healed from some little thing. They are raised from the dead. You may remember it, the son of the widow of Zarephath. And so the question is, if James is wanting to use Elijah as an example of praying for physical healing, why on earth doesn't he give that example? But he doesn't do that. He doesn't talk about Elijah praying for this son of the widow of Zarephath. Actually, he talks about Elijah praying for no rain. Now, what's happening then? Why does Elijah, back then in 1 Kings 17 and 18, why does Elijah pray for no rain? Well, if you read those chapters, 1 Kings 17 and 18, what's happening is the people of Israel, they were wandering away from God. The people of Israel, they were becoming double-minded. The people of Israel, it talks about them wavering between two opinions. Should they follow the true God or should, should they follow this false God, Baal? And so Elijah prays for the rain to stop as a sign of God's judgment on the people of Israel wandering away from God and being spiritually double-minded. And then, when the people of Israel, when they come back to God, when they've come back to be single-minded, devoted to God, then Elijah prays that the rain would come again. When these people, when they are brought back from their spiritual adultery and their spiritual waywardness. And so I hope what you see is that the whole of this letter of James, including this end bit as it's talking about praying for healing and anointing with oil, it is written to both the dragons and the damsels, and it is all, the whole thing, it is about the danger of us being double-minded, you and I wandering away from God, and it is an encouragement to all of us here that we pray for ourselves, that we pray for each other, that we pray that we might come back to single-minded devotion to God again. Now, how do we tell, how do we sort of analyze for ourselves if we have been wandering away from the truth? How do we analyze if we are being spiritually double-minded? Well, um, back in the summer, uh, the HTC staff team, we had a sort of staff team away time, and we went all the way to Battersea Park. It was a very long away time. Um, and we went to do putt in the park, um, the crazy golf at, um, in Battersea Park. You've probably done it. And um, for some reason, that escapes me now. I was the last person to turn up, and I, I arrived a little bit out of breath. I'm bicycling away, got there, locked my bike up, and there were the rest of the staff team, and they were all sort of milling around in front of the, the crazy golf waiting to start. And I came in, I said hello to everyone, and the whole of the staff team were just being really odd. I mean, even odder than normal. I mean, they they were being really odd. They they were like, normally there's just, you know, relaxed banter and all the rest. And and everyone was sort of being a bit uptight. They they weren't really talking very much. They were just being a bit peculiar, and I couldn't work out why. And this went on for five, ten minutes. And then one person, they they started asking me about my clothes, which I thought was a bit weird. But uh, and I was just wearing what I normally wear in the summer. I sort of had a, a you know a polo shirt like this on with the collar slightly turned up, um, and um, and uh, and um, some shorts, and uh, that's what I was wearing. And uh, so and, and so as they asked me that, I looked around at what everyone else was wearing, and I thought there are a few people that seem to be sort of very professionally golf attire dressed um, for just crazy golf. Seems a bit over the top, but there we go, never mind. Uh, But still, we carried on, and and everyone was still being a bit odd. And about five minutes later, finally, someone said to me, they said, Jago, haven't you noticed? I was like, noticed what? I said, haven't you noticed that everyone has come dressed up like you? And I was like, what? And they had. Look, here's a photo of it. 
they had. It was, it was, uh, Jess hadn't got the memo, but everyone else, some people had even gone to a charity shop to buy a polo shirt so they would look like me and then turn it up a little bit. It just, I mean, it was so embarrassing, but there we go. Now, now, why do I show you that? Throughout this letter of James, what James has been saying is this. He's saying, if internally our hearts, your heart, my heart, if our heart has been genuinely transformed by the gospel, by the love of Jesus, then what will happen is that will work itself out in all of life. If our hearts have been transformed internally, that is going to make a difference externally. It's going to make a difference externally in how we care for others. That was James chapter 2. It's going to make a difference externally in our conversations. That was James chapter 3. It's going to make a difference externally in our attitude to the culture. That was James chapter 4 and 5. We will be distinct in all those areas. It will be noticeable, a genuine living faith in Jesus. But if we start being double-minded... If we start chasing after the things of the world in opposition to God as well as trying to chase after God, then what happens is on that diagram, those arrows, they disappear. They disappear. And suddenly we start looking no different from those around us. If we become double-minded, we start looking the same as the culture. Just as I looked exactly like the staff team, and more importantly, most of the staff team looked exactly like me, so we start looking all exactly the same as people around us. Not distinct, not different, not standing out from those that we work with, those that we live next to, those that we play sport with who don't know Jesus. That is what helps us see if we're being double-minded, if we're wandering from the truth, if we start looking just like everybody else. No longer distinct. So how does that apply to you, to me? Let's think first how it applies to those of us here if you're trying to live distinctively for Jesus. Not perfect, of course not, no one is. But you are single-minded in your desire to live out your belief in Jesus. So the damsels amongst us. If that's you, James has three encouragements for you. The first encouragement is this. He says to you, keep patient. Keep patient. That's verses 7 and 8. Have a look at verse 7. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Or look at verse 8. He says, you too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't I know it? It is so easy when struggles come, when difficulties come, when, when, when suffering comes, when persecution comes, whenever it, whatever it might be, in the here and now, if things get difficult, then it is so easy for the thing that, things that are difficult to be the catalyst to you and I wandering away from God. But James says, please be patient. Keep patient, keep persevering, keep patient and be single-mindedly devoted to God, even when times are tough. And I know as I look around here, I know that for some of you, I know exactly some people's lives, I don't know a lot of other people's lives, but for some of you, life is difficult at the moment. Things are tough in whatever way that might be. There may be all sorts of different challenges for you right at the moment. Things are really tough. And I believe God's word to you today through James, he says, keep patient. Even in the midst of the difficulty that you're going through at the moment, keep patient. Keep patient. 
Second thing, second way of encouragement is this. Not just keep patient, but keep proclaiming. Verses 9 to 12. Keep proclaiming. You see, so much of James's challenge to us, he says real faith, it works itself out in our conversations, in what we say, how we use our tongue. So when we're under pressure, look at verse 9, he says, don't grumble. Don't grumble. It's so easy to grumble, isn't it? He says, don't grumble. Very practical. When we're under pressure, be full of of personal integrity. Even when we're under pressure, be full of personal integrity. Look at verse 12, he says, let your yes be yes, your no, no. Above all, he says, even under pressure, be like the prophets who in the face of suffering, verse 10, what did the prophets do? In the face of suffering, they spoke in the name of the Lord. James says, keep proclaiming Jesus. This Christmas, can you and I, can we use our tongues distinctively, not grumbling, but keeping proclaiming Jesus, keeping inviting people to the carol services, keep proclaiming. So keep patient, keep proclaiming, And then keep prayerful, verses 13 to 20. Whatever situation you or I are in, James says, speak to God in prayer. Look at verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. He says, pray. Pray in all circumstances and pray for those that we know who are spiritually faltering, who are wandering off. Pray for them to be brought back. And you know, these verses, they are such an encouragement to pray. I wonder if there are some of us here, and actually we are fearful that prayer is a waste of time. We're fearful prayer is a waste of time. That we, we sort of think that the success, of, the success of our prayers is dependent on me being super holy. You know, after all, look at verse 16. It says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And I don't feel very righteous, we think. But you know, verse 17 blows that wrong thinking out of the water. Verse 17, look at it. He says, Elijah was a human being even as we are. He's saying Elijah was a human being just like us, says James. He says there's nothing particularly amazing about Elijah, but there is something particularly amazing about prayer. Our prayers, they can be powerful and effective, not because you and I have clocked up enough holiness points, but because Jesus Christ gives us that righteousness. And so when we pray, we can pray with confidence. That's why I'd love you to come to the prayer meeting this Wednesday, even if you've never been before, because we can pray with confidence, because we believe that there is something amazing about prayer. Not because we're so amazing, we're not. But because Jesus is. And Jesus gives us that righteousness. And the prayer of a righteous person, a person in Jesus with a living faith, is powerful and effective. And so James says to you, he says to you tonight, keep patient, keep proclaiming, and keep prayerful. But what about when we've wandered from the truth? What about when we are more like the dragon than the damsel? And if we're honest, as we look at our lives, our lives just look like everyone else around us in the culture. There's little distinct about us as a Christian. And this is bound to be all of us at some point in our lives, and it's bound to be many of us right now. What then? What does James say to us then? Well, undoubtedly, it involves prayer. It involves being prayed for. And it may too involve even being anointed with oil. 
anointed with oil as a sign of your desire, my desire to come back to God, to be set apart for God again, to be single-minded in our devotion to God. But also, let's recognize this, that you or I coming back to God You or I turning from the error of our ways and coming back to single-minded devotion to God, it is not about moral correction. It is not about that. We might think that from the very last verse of the letter. Just look at the last verse of the letter as we close. Verse 20, James says, Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. But you know, of course, it is only at the cross that you and I are saved from death. It is only at the cross that your multitude of sins and my multitude of sins can be covered. We cannot cover our own sins. The death of Jesus on the cross is the only thing that can do that. And what are our sins covered from? They're not covered from ourselves. They're not covered from other people. No, our sins are covered from God. The Bible says that God buries our sins. The Bible says that God puts our sins behind his back. The Bible says that God hurls our sins to the bottom of the ocean. The Bible says that God removes our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. God keeps no record of your sin or my sin because he has covered them himself on the cross and he has saved us from death. And at such cost. At such cost. As we take communion in a few moments, we're being reminded that the one who one day will be our judge, verse 9, that he has also already taken our judgment on the cross so that we may live with him forever. Forever. That John Lewis advert, it finishes with the tagline, show them how much you care. And whoever you are this evening, however far you feel that you have wandered away from God, On the cross, God has shown you how much he cares for you. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are full of compassion and mercy. And Lord Jesus, thank you that we see your compassion and mercy above all at the cross. Lord Jesus, we praise you and we thank you for your love for us. And this evening we pray, would you cover our sins Would you pull us back to you? Would you, by your Spirit, cause each one of us to be single-minded in our devotion to you again? 
And let's just take a moment of quiet now, just in our hearts, to speak to God and to just acknowledge before him if there are ways that we know that we have been wandering away from him. If there are ways that we know we've been double-minded, double-hearted, running after the world's things as well as his. There have been different things either tonight or, uh, or, or during this James sermon series where we've been challenged. And just bring those things before the Lord now. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us. Thank you that we see how much you care for us on the cross. And would you be at work in us, transforming us, bringing us back to single-minded devotion to you. In your name we pray. Amen.